When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on a crisp and sunny Monday morning. I'm sorry to disappoint you all, but there's no Natalie Sawyer. She's still on holiday until next Monday. Believe me, however much you miss her, I miss her more. But I'll tell you who is in the studio with me just to get you excited. It's the Times Chief Stats Officer, Bill Edgar. Plus, down the line, the man who went to the same school as Allison Rudd. That's right. It's Paul Joyce. It's funny, actually, because... Henry Winter went to the same university as Amber Rudd, who he actually snogged in a play, apparently, as he told us several times. <laughs> no, it's a true story. Also, down the line, we're delighted because it's Mr. James Gearbrandt. Later on, we'll be discussing uh, a bit of Neil Warnock and the people we think are the worst officials in the world, and also whether United under Solskjaer are just lucky. But there's one place to start, and that is at Anfield. Uh, you want excitement? This was pretty exciting. Last minute, Toby Alderweireld's own goal helped snatch victory for Liverpool, taking them back to the top of the table. Just like at Fulham, they conceded an equalized in the last 20 minutes, and they had to go again and win the game. Uh, Joyce, I'm going to start with you. Is, is there a feeling of sort of like team of destiny type thing when you get these little breaks that go your way and stuff? Or is there a fear that, uh-oh, luck evens itself out and maybe this will catch up with us later? There's a little element of both. I think I think Liverpool have had a lot of breaks over the course of the season. You, you look at sort of the Pickford error in the last minute of the derby, sort of very similar to yesterday. The one thing I'd say about the last minute late goals, I mean, you have to be attacking to be lucky, don't you, in those certain situations. You have to be going for the win to get the windfall and I think that's something that Klopp has tried to instill in the players in terms of an attitude and approach. I think he noticed last season that Manchester City won a lot of games or scored a decisive goal in a lot of games in the last five, six, seven minutes. I mean, there was a lot of times where Sterling would would score in the 90th minute, Bournemouth, Southampton off the top of my head. And obviously the the game where they got the 100 points was was a last minute goal by Gabriel Jesus at Southampton as well. And, And I think... He admired that in in City. They're you know a brilliant football team, but they also had this attitude and mentality and willpower to go to the final minute. I think that's something he sort of cultivated and nurtured at Liverpool. I think there's obviously been lucky breaks in that as well. I, I wanted to to ask you, but I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that, and I'm purely pigeonholing and stereotyping here that you're probably slightly less metaphysical and more rational than the rest of us. What do you make of this? I mean, we know teams can be lucky for very long periods of time. That's just chance and randomness. Are we overplaying, though, 
this idea that they've been lucky. And, and, and as Joyce says, like, you know, if they don't keep attacking, then your reach doesn't spill it. On the flip yeah. side, it's a home draw with Spurs. You are going to be attacking, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we're overplaying it. I mean, I've, I've gone through the the matches this season. Uh, Liverpool had quite a few games in the autumn where I thought they were, were lucky. They should have drawn away to Leicester when they won. They were lucky to draw at home to Man City when they, they lost. They deserved to lose away to Huddersfield when they won. So I worked it out that they should probably be about seven points worse off, whereas Man City <laughs> should be nine points better off. Uh, what? According to my calculations, you know, I mean, having watched every minute of every game and just kind of made a note of w- which way the game was flowing. Sorry, so, sorry, I mean, that, sorry. So that just, would be a 16 Just point. so we're clear on this, the actual table is 79-77. Yeah. The Bill Edgar table is Manchester City would be on would be, would be 14 86 points, points and Liverpool would be on 72 points. Yeah. And yeah. they'd be 14 points clear. Yeah. I mean, you know, football's a Joycey, random game. Or, Joycey, your uh, reaction to this? <laughs> That's a revelation, that I, but I can't agree with that. I mean... I'll let Bill explain it more. Well, I mean, the Man City, when they uh, they only drew away to Liverpool, they you know, were by far the better team. And, and City had about six clear chances to one or something. So, I mean, but if you go back, but it's not, okay, it is a bit unusual to have such a, a change, I would say. But uh, but football is a random game. So you get these little uh, quirks. I mean, but look, but having said that, I mean, Liverpool, they've had a fantastic season. They, any normal season, they'd be there or thereabouts to, to win the title based on how they've played. It's just they're up against a team of, I would say you could argue this is the Man City are playing the best ever season in history. Right. Okay, we, we need another view here between, between Joycey, who believes that Liverpool deserve to be where they are, and, and Bill Edgar, the anti-Anfield mega-troll. Um, Gearbrandt, you're kind of a neutral in this. Do you see a 14-point gap between City and Liverpool? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's been that large, to be honest. I mean, I, I know I, was, I obviously I can't claim, as, as Bill has done, to have watched every single minute of every game. There, there are sort of tables or, or online and, and so on and so forth that calculate the, um, what the table would look like sort of based on you know, expected goals and, and simulations and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I was just looking one up when Bill said that because I was kind of surprised and that there's one that's sort of widely available that has City on sort of about 74 expected points and, and Liverpool on 70. So not nearly not nearly so much of a gap as as Bill makes it. Um, I don't, it's so hard, isn't it, to kind of look back over an entire season and, and sort of make a real determination about how lucky a team has been because you always kind of overemphasize games that, that you were at and, and probably an underemphasized games that, that you weren't at. Um, I must say I, I don't feel that Liverpool's performance levels have been that far inferior to their actual points total. But then again, as I say, I haven't seen every minute of every single Liverpool game this season. I don't think you can be totally lucky reliant on luck to have lost just once in the Premier League this season. Oh, no, it's, as I say, they've had, they've had a fantastic season, there's no doubt about it. But just, I mean, as I said, they probably, I'd say they've had five results which have which they haven't deserved, five better results and probably one uh, worse result. Joycey, I know you wanted to make a point about that moment, which 
yeah. you know, could have changed everything. When Musa Sissoko's, he's running through uh, on the break. He's got a chance to lay it off. Was it Hong Wen San who was there with him? Um, yeah, yeah. To his yeah. right. And instead, he kind of wastes the wrong moment, takes it with his weaker foot, I think, and spurns a chance. Yeah, no, I, I just thought it was, to me, you know, if Liverpool do get over the line, I just think that will be one of the defining moments of their season. I just think for, for Van Dijk to recognise and sum up all the different sort of permutations in, in that moment, if, you know, to, to sort of recognise that he wanted to push Suzoko on, onto his left foot and, and close off the option of the pass to Son. I just thought, I get all the, the arguments for, for, for Sterling, he's had, he's had a wonderful season, but Van Dijk would be my sort of player of the year, not just because of called Liverpool, and I've probably seen more of him than other players, but I just think his impact's been transformational since he came to the club. Well, it's funny, Joycey, because we make the point about that, but our former Times colleague, Tony Barrett, and this kind of shocked me, went on social media and said that he was just about to change his mind and have Van Dyke replace Alan Hansen as Liverpool's greatest ever central defender in his mind. And this is a man who is very steeped in Liverpool. In fact, he works for the club. Is that that kind of the, 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 the scale of Van Dyke's contribution? I mean, Tony's come back from that a little bit now. He said he's getting to the point of putting him up there. I mean, he has been an immense figure, and I just think that yesterday to... You know, that earned Liverpool the look that they later got. If he doesn't do what he did yesterday and, and, and Spurs score, then, you know, I don't see a way back for Liverpool in the game. It was a brilliant moment from Van Dijk, I thought, to work yeah. that out. And it was probably a bit embarrassing for... Poor old Sissoko, because Van Dijk yeah. is saying, right, it's better for Liverpool well, if Sissoko sh- shoots than if Son might shoot, because he's saying, well, you know, if Sissoko tries to pass to Son, it might not get to him. So even allowing for that, Son's still more likely to score than Sissoko. So uh, I mean, that's a bit kind of embarrassing, probably more than the actual shot which he scooped right. over. James, I want to get you on, on Spurs, because... As we tape this on, on a Monday morning, Arsenal play this evening uh, at home to Newcastle. Should they win or even should they draw, Spurs are going to drop to fourth place. This is not a great situation. They're one point clear of Chelsea who are, who are in sixth place and have a manager who apparently everybody wants sacked and crucified and hung, drawn and quartered. United have caught up with them despite spending half a season under Jose Mourinho and being a million points behind at one point. They have one point from a possible 15 in their last five games. Is this the gloss coming off of Pochettino? What is the issue? Isn't Pochettino supposed to be the next big thing? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think they've actually, if you look back at the, this, this really poor run of games that they've been on, I don't think it's necessarily been the same thing. I think they've sort of found different ways to, to lose. I think there have been games where they've kept it quite tight, but they've just been almost non-existent in attack and they've been stung, like, for example, the Chelsea game where they, where they lost. And there have been games where they've been quite functional in attack, but they've been so wide open, like the, the Arsenal game or the game against Southampton. And then I think this game was sort of somewhere in the middle where I actually think they kind of, I actually think they played okay yesterday and, and were, maybe, were maybe a bit unlucky. It's obviously partly... You know, that as we've spoken about before, they were probably overperforming in terms of the results they got earlier in the season. 
and now that sort of random variance element of, of football has kind of swung against them. I also think, personally, I think they really missed Harry Winks, which maybe is something that would have surprised us before this season. But I think he had actually become quite an integral part of that midfield. And I think he's actually, he's really improved defensively this season. And I think they've actually really missed him uh, recently. And I think it's also just all the kind of things that we've spoken about, about Spurs coming home to roost. You know, the fact that they don't have a very big squad and they obviously didn't add anyone at all over the summer. And they obviously had a lot of players who, you know, are going to be extremely fatigued because they had a large proportion of their squad that played a lot of World Cup football over the summer. So it's tough times for Spurs. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, as eventful and incident-packed as the game at Anfield was, it, in some ways it paled by comparison relative to the earlier kickoff in Wales. Now, Chelsea were appalling uh, in, in, in the first half. It was a bunch of penalty incidents, two penalties not given, uh, um, which which should have gone to, to Cardiff, I thought. One the other way to Chelsea. Cardiff take the lead. Tremendous goal from uh, from Camarasa or to start the second half. And then Chelsea get this goofy equalizer with Spiliqueta being, I think, several city blocks offside. And then, of course, to add insult to injury, and because when it rains, it pours, Chelsea then get a second through Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Now, Let's get right into it with Neil Warnock. He came out, and um, you can understand him being very angry and regaling us with obscenities on television. VAR is obviously coming next season. Does anybody have any plausible explanation that the linesmen just fall asleep? Because there's this whole thing about William standing in his way. I don't buy that. Linesmen are always there next to the guy taking the corner kick, right? Uh Yes, uh, I mean, William did seem to be in his way. Uh, maybe most corner takers don't sort of rush away from the byline so much. I don't know. The problem would be solved if you had another linesman on the other side of the pitch as well. I'm sure the Premier okay. League could afford that. But, well, but it thank is. Thank you for making excuses here. I'm going to go to Joyce and Gearbrandt, who might have more rational opinions. Are they the worst officials in the world, or is Neil perhaps overstating this a tiny bit? Yeah, he's overstating it, obviously. But I mean, I can imagine, I can imagine his frustration at that time. I mean, people are saying if he keeps Cardiff up, you know, he's a contender for the manager of the year, and it was a sort of horrendous decision. I'm not sure it's this. You know, we've seen this debate come out since about big clubs versus small clubs. I don't necessarily go along with that. It's just a, a terrible error by the by the assistant referee and I don't think the officials in England are the worst in the world but <laughs> um, when VAR is introduced you know, where will Cardiff be? That's the debate for him now, isn't it? What struck me here was when you have sort of such such a gross mistake and look, the, the assistant is human you know, whatever I, I think most likely he got distracted and didn't go and look at the same time which shouldn't be happening because He's a professional. He does this for a living. He's committed. He's a lot of time to it. He probably feels worse than anybody else. But what it does do is all these other incidents, like uh, the two Morrison penalties, one of which I thought was legit, the other one, eh, 
I'm not so sure. And also the Rudiger on, on Zahore, where people like, oh, there should be a red card. And I'm not sure it was a denial of goal scoring because I thought Kepa was there. And the only way he gets away from it is if he takes it over to his right. And then you have David Luiz there. But anyway, um, it does create this narrative. So this might be a good time to remind Warnock of Sol Bamba scoring a very obviously offside goal against Brighton. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Generally, the I, I agree with uh, Paul that uh, I don't really see any uh, favour given to big clubs particularly. As for the point, uh, are the Premier League officials really bad now I think they're, they're generally very good I'll, I'll watch when I'm watching Champions League games quite often I'll, I'll see them at refereeing mistake and I think that would be really unusual in the Premier League I just think that the, the standard in England just based on that is, is probably higher than elsewhere really um, I yeah, think it's I'd actually so. a lot lower between Pawson and Dean you have a whole range of people who seem to use far too much discretion then again maybe I'm spoiled by VAR Kierbrandt Maritza Sarri got a ton of abuse from his own fans, and in, in the first half as well, actually. Part of that had to do with his team selection. Chelsea, I think, have something like seven games in 23 days, and so Sari, thinking like Sari, says, okay, well, we have Brighton on Wednesday. We have Conte and Hazard coming back from international break. I'm going to keep these guys on the bench because it's only Cardiff. We should be able to handle Cardiff without them. I have them in reserve if I need them. And, of course, Callum Hudson-Odoi as well. But, of course, when you do that, people start thinking that you're mad and demented and stupid and your best player should be playing all the time. I mean, I even heard, like, Stephen Warnock make this point. Like, oh, your best player... I'm really glad Stephen Warnock's not a manager because you do have to rotate at some point. You can argue whether he's rotating in the wrong situations. Maybe rotate them against Brighton at home. I don't know. But did you think that's a fair criticism or is the more appropriate criticism, just how rubbish Chelsea were in the first half. Yeah, to your point about rotation, I, I actually think Sarri has been, he's actually been extremely rotation averse in general this season. Yes. He, has, he hasn't rotated very much at all. Um, so yeah, to that particular point, I, I think you can't just grind your best players into the dirt. You, you do have to rest them at some point. So, But you're right. I mean, you could maybe argue that he should have done it in such a way that Arguably, two, Chelsea's two best players weren't rested for the same game. But no, in, in general, I, I don't have a problem with him rotating those players. But I think maybe, I don't know, it, it's difficult, isn't it? I think once he dropped Hazard, and I think having dropped Hazard, I think not starting hudson Adoy, whether you think that's a, you know, a justifiable decision or not based on Willian and Pedro's kind of reputation and, and what they've achieved. I think that was always going to be a huge PR own goal. Joycey, on the subject of Callum Hudson-Odoi, sorry seemed to upset Jamie Carragher. And I thought, and look, I, I really like Jamie Carragher. I thought I disagree with him here a little bit because Carragher was annoyed because sorry came out and said he'd only seen 20 minutes of Hudson-Odoi uh, against Montenegro. And Sorry, justified this by saying, like, I had all these guys out on international duty. I wasn't going to go and watch 20 matches. And Carrier thinks that he should have watched them. Now, personally, I think given that he sees Hudson Adoy every day in training, I don't actually think it's that big a deal that during the international break he doesn't go and watch Hudson Adoy. But it also strikes me, and this is a very sorry thing Carrier's not going to find out what Sorry <laughs> watches in his spare time. Why not just say, oh, yeah, I watch all our players when they're on internationals, and I simply 
rested him in this game because I want him to start in midweek at home against Brighton in front of our own fans or whatever reason. Or, or you know, Pedro was well rested because he didn't go away on national duty. Why not say simple stuff like that? Is he just not super smart in relating to the media? You know, I think Carragher's point that, that I agreed with was what does Hudson Adoy listening to those comments, what does he think when Sarri's saying, oh, I didn't, I didn't bother watching him? Does that make him feel that the manager's behind him? And, and is that going to in any way help the contract situation? The point that Carragher made about other people at the club in the wake of that, that he wouldn't have been surprised if other people at the club in the wake of those comments coming out from Sarri had then contacted Hudson and Doy's representatives and said, you know, well, you know, that's not how we, we view it. We, we're fully behind Callum and all that. And it's just not, that's not healthy. And I think he can remove some of the problems and some of the issues that he's facing by just being a bit more media savvy. I mean, you'll know him better than us from, from what he was like in Italy and maybe... But there are there are managers in England who will just... Marco Silva, for example, very rarely gives anything away in a in a press conference. So. I think I think you nailed it, Joyce. And I'll, I'll refer you back to a quote I've used a million times, but it comes from somebody who knows Sadly extremely well. Um, and it is that he speaks in public exactly the way he would when he goes out out back for a cigarette with his friend. Yeah. He's yeah. got absolutely no filters and he doesn't play the media game at all and that yeah. that gets him into trouble because, you know, as far as I know, he encountered Hudson Adoy in preseason and he was absolutely taken by him and that's why he started in the in the community shield. Uh, obviously people were people were coming away and coming back. Then there was a period when Hudson Adoy largely disappeared from Chelsea's first team squad, which had everything to do with his contract negotiations, which then his representatives walked away from. It was actually after they broke off talks that he started getting appearances in the first team and, 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 and whatnot. So from Sari's perspective, his relationship with Hudson Adoy is fine and you know, he's exceptionally blunt and you always know where you kind of stand with him. But yeah. yeah, he doesn't help himself in press conferences and in public, and it's not it's not the first time. I find it frustrating because, you know, I, I like Mauricio Sarri as a manager. I, I thought it was a really kind of exciting appointment, but it's, it's so frustrating just to see him shoot himself in the foot just on so many, so many occasions. I think actually viewed through a kind of certain prism, I think Chelsea's season has not actually been that bad results-wise. I mean... You know, they got to the final of the the League Cup, and they're you know have done very well in the Europa League. And Gab, as you said, even in the Premier League, they're not that far behind Spurs, and I believe they're actually better off in terms of points than they were last season. But I don't understand Sarri's sort of you know even before yesterday's game, I think he was giving a sort of a pre-match interview where he spoke about his players being you know sort of mentally mentally vulnerable and and he you know has repeated in press conferences this theme that you know his players don't react well to adversity but he can't explain it and it's totally inexplicable honesty doesn't pay does it gear it doesn't i think the problem that that you have now is that 
even if results do improve, and I think there's, there's actually quite possible that they will, because I think Chelsea, although they haven't been playing exceptionally well, I think have been unlucky in some aspects. And, you know, he's obviously trying to institute a new style and that, that takes time and, you know, maybe results will improve. But I think the problem that he now has is that he's made himself so unpopular and appears to have alienated the fan base to such an extent that even if Chelsea's results do get better, you know, will anyone actually want him to stay? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Now, Manchester United were victorious in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first game since being appointed permanent manager, beating Watford 2-1. But Solskjaer said it was like his players were on holiday. Manchester United did not play well. Watford controlled Trafford and had 20 shots. Um, I think the headline in our paper, Bill, you have it right there, is uh, like a funeral? Yeah. Did Solskjaer yeah. say that? I uh, believe so. It was, or did Henry Winter? Uh, <laughs> well, anybody, anybody who's there, probably. But um, firstly, it's very important to say that the Watford were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they've had such a good season and uh, they can really, uh, really turn it on. And they did on Saturday and uh, deserved a draw, I thought. Um, running theme today, but I mean, certainly United have definitely ridden the luck under uh, Solskjaer. Performances last have. last time United played well? Uh, I thought the very best performance was probably um, the, the most thrilling. Let's say was the very first game against Cardiff. Where okay, we're we going thought, way wow. back. When's yeah. the last time going backwards? Like, so they lost they the played, two games before this. Funnily enough, one of their best performances recently was the game that they actually lost against Arsenal. Arsenal yeah, they played very well. Yeah, yeah. Deserved a draw there and they lost away to Arsenal 2 0. But yeah, they've, obviously they've picked up performance level a lot since the, the last few months of the Mourinho era, but still a long way to go. I'd say they're, they're miles behind, even, even though they've got as many points as Man City since Solskjaer took over. They're, they're still, the, the level of performance has been miles behind Man City. How do you compare the, them right now with this time last year? Um, not a huge difference. More entertaining. So as a United fan, you'd just absolutely prefer that 100% over what was going on last year. 
but um, I'd say perhaps very slightly better than uh, than last season. So you know, there's a there's a, a long way to go for Solskjaer to turn United into a title winning team. There's certainly I mean, Rashford has definitely been improved a lot. I think Pogba's so-called change has been overstated a bit he was generally he had loads of brilliant performances under Mourinho generally he definitely underperformed he had loads he he had loads I mean there's one classic game this season when they drew it home to Wolves he made one mistake I saw the whole game made one mistake and and about 15 seconds later Wolves scored that was the only mention Pogba got in relation to that game was he he made that mistake yet he he was sensational in that game yet that has been lost to history nobody is concerned about that Uh, having said that he's picked up a little bit under Solskjaer. Solskjaer has improved things a bit and most importantly they're just playing like a normal team reasonably entertaining but um, they do have a way to go and that was a bit um, from a United point of view quite alarming uh, not to be able to uh, deserve to win at home to Watford if you're looking to win the title it's a, a worry. Well, Gearbrent, they're not looking to win the title this year. They're looking to obviously finish top four and, and go forward with, with Solskjaer. But what do you make of this and what Bill said? Are, are there any obvious fixes? I'm not sure really in terms of, in terms of fixes. Um, I think one problem that they've, they've really had in, in, in recent games is that they're, they're starting to give up a lot of shots. 51 now in their last three games like against Arsenal and Wolves and this one. Uh, 51 shots in three games? Yeah, 14, 17, and 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like what happens if you don't play with the midfield. And, I mean, well, wait, I mean Phil Jones say, only played one of those games, right? <laughs> You're right. I think, um, I think Matic, who actually, I think, obviously was really poor under Mourinho, and then I think picked up uh, a lot and was, I think, pretty good in Solskjaer's first few games and has obviously just come back from an injury, um, I think has really struggled in the last sort of two or three games, um, whether that's fatigue or, or just performance levels, I, I, I don't know. But you're right. I think they're kind of getting killed in midfield a little bit and that's why they're giving up I, I wanna... so many shots. One thing that, that struck me, and several people made this point, I mean, when I watched the game, I, I was struck by the fact that it was almost as if they were just happy to play on the counter, and they did that really well. It certainly, you know, Mazina should have done a lot better on the counterattack where they scored, but nevertheless, you know, Luke Shaw was a tremendous pass, tremendous movement. But this isn't, United aren't traditionally a counterattacking team, nor is it really playing to their strengths to plan the counter? Was it a case that they simply couldn't get out and impose themselves on, on Watford or, well, or even s- keep possession? Or They were sitting back a lot. They were letting Wat- Watford have the ball. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a bit surprising. I mean, isn't um, this what you United fans crucified Mourinho for, the negativity? Uh, well, not so much that. It was, I mean, you you sit back, the ball, the ball will get to you eventually. You have plenty of times to, to play with it. It's just when, when United got the ball under Mourinho, they, they would just have nobody. They would, The first look would be sideways or backwards. There'd be no players ahead of them. Is that, that sort of, that was the general complaint but uh but yeah i having said that yes i probably think they'd be better off pressing the opponents a bit more rashford's doing brilliantly but uh martial's been a bit hit and miss uh whether matters a long-term solution i don't know just haven't extended his deal, have they? Well, not in. I mean, does he have the potential to? United don't think so. I don't know whether this is a, a huge part of 
solution to their problems. But for me personally, I would like to see I would like to see Dalot play ahead of Ashley Young. I just yeah. think he's I think he's better to be honest. Yeah, he's probably um, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I would like to see that. I would like to see that happen. I'd like to see Dalot phased into the first choice eleven. Let's move on to some quick hits. Manchester City roll past Fulham 2-0, but this is one of the most one-sided games you'll see this season. Bill, give Liverpool fans some hope, especially after all your negativity before. Um, if City do Liverpool, slow down, yes. well, what's going to stop them? Uh, City. Give uh, me a scenario, a pathway where City don't win the title. Yeah, well, uh, I think City deserve to be well ahead of Liverpool. That's more to do with City having unlucky results and Liverpool having lucky results. But, but City, just game after game, they just deserve to I'm win by a mile. the opposite. I'm asking, give me reasons why City won't win the title. Mm, there's not many, really. Uh, oh, they're not, horrible. They're not, they're not getting... They're not getting tired. What's the weakness? They've, they've, they've got players will fit more or less. The one game at Man United away, uh, that looks a, a bit risky. But right. even then, I wonder how Man United fans were. Okay. Uh, I'll give you one since you're not cooperating. There's going to be a people's revolution in Abu Dhabi. It's going to become the Socialist Republic of Abu Dhabi. They're going to stop spending money overseas. They're going to, they're going to sell off the club to Simon Jordan. And, uh, and it's all going to end badly. There. How's that? Okay. Anybody hoping for a late West Ham United surge? Like me, we're left disappointed as they fell at home to Everton 2-0. Gearbrandt, why can't Marco Silva get consistent performances like this from his guys? Well, I think anybody hoping for a late West Ham surge was left disappointed. I think anybody hoping for any West Ham attack whatsoever was left disappointed. This was a dreadful performance by West Ham. As for Everton, they, they've really picked up recently. I was actually... I somewhat feared for Marco Silva sort of about a month ago or so. But, uh, for him, what? Is he your mate? Do you feel bad he won't be able to pay his mortgage if he gets sacked? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought he was in a bit of trouble, to be honest. Um, yeah, they've, look, they've really, this was a good performance, but they've certainly, they've certainly improved. Um, as to why he can't get consistent performances like this from them, I don't know. But, um, but maybe that will come in, in, his, in his second season at Everton, assuming that he gets one. Bill, now... On Saturday, I was walking around through town over to my residence in West London, and I saw an absolute gaggle of people in Sunderland shirts, which was odd because, you know, they weren't playing QPR or or Fulham or Brentford, largely because those teams are in a division above them, but partly also because they weren't playing that day at all. And I thought, why are all these Sunderland fans doing here? And that was Saturday. I bet you know why. Well, they're obviously very excited because they're, they're a day early for their Checker Trade Trophy final at Wembley. 85,000 people turned up at uh, uh, Wembley on Sunday and Portsmouth won on penalties. If you think that's the power of the Checker Trade Trophy attracting 85,000 people, I did look up the 48 games in the northern section of the group stage this season. and The group stage of what? Of the Checker Trade Trophy. And adding them all together, he still didn't get as high as 85,000. It was about 13,000 short. So um, perhaps it's more the power of Wembley. They all had a big day out. And of course, Sunderland and Portsmouth have a huge fan base, great histories and uh, visits to Wembley in the past. So they were probably hoping to see this as a stepping stone to return to great things. It is pretty remarkable. I mean, again, I'm sure Portsmouth had a big crowd, but I, I mean, how many could Portsmouth realistically have brought? 
for the Checker Trade Trophy final? 30,000, 35,000 max? Yeah. I don't know. I, get, I, I would imagine, I don't know, perhaps about half. Would it be, I, I don't really? Know, you I, think it's that many? I don't know how many kind of uh, neutrals would have gone along. Well, I, I, was, again, I was just so impressed that it was 24 hours before the game mm. and, you know, but before the Checker Trade Trophy final and you had all these... Sunderland yeah. fans, tremendous show, and yeah. dare I say, I miss Sunderland. I want to get back in the Premier League soon. Now, Huddersfield are officially down, and reportedly the players are unhappy with coach Jan Sievert, who lost eight of nine games since his appointment. In particular, it's his hardline approach that rankled them. Gearbrandt, Sievert does seem pretty dramatic when he talks. He really does lay it on really thick. He brought them in for punishment training one day after they, they lost a match on Saturday. This was a few weeks ago, I think. Um, how do you see this guy panning out? Especially, and go back to like his original appointment. He's like the coach of the Borussia Dortmund under-23s, and he comes in for Wagner, and he just seems like kind of like a needless hard-ass, frankly. I think it, it, it's such a tough one for you know, the Huddersfield decision makers. I, I think, you know, we've, we've obviously talked about, you know, how Huddersfield are basically ill-equipped to play at this level and, and there's, you know, there's not really very much to work with. So you've got a situation where, as you say, obviously he's lost eight of nine games since his appointment, which is which is obviously terrible. But in some senses, it, it's, it's really hard to kind of assess how well he's done because, you know, I think we all agree that, you know, Huddersfield are, are really up against it at this level and, you know, it's not... It's not necessarily clear whether anyone would have done any better. I think, I don't know, it's going to be really hard when they get, and now, of course, they're relegated, so, you know, the motivation has gone. It's going to be really hard when they get to the end of this season to really kind of assess the job that Steve has done, I think, because he's obviously going to end up with far more defeats than wins on his record. But I, I just don't understand why, like, you've come on, you've got a team with limited resources, it would have taken a miracle to get you out why you needed to be so negative about his players and work harder. And I'm not suggesting he's blaming them necessarily, but certainly that's the image he gave off. Why not say, look, I have a contract through 2021 and we're going to do Huddersfield proud. We have tremendous fan base. We're up against it. Um, and we're going to try to, we're going to fight till the end, but we also want to build and make sure that we come back next year. Something like that. Anyway. Gab, one for you. Uh, I hear there was another dramatic twist in the Bundesliga title race on Saturday. That's right, Bill. Uh, so Bayern obviously had pulled even with uh, Borussia Dortmund, and there's this big match next week in Munich, Der Klassiker. Um, and people kind of take it as read, oh, look, you know, normal service is res- resuming, despite the fact that Bayern aren't particularly good this season. They're going to go, and they're going to win because they got the head-to-head at home. And as it happened, going into the 90th minute, Bayern were drawing away to Freiburg, who are not particularly good, and um, Borussia Dortmund were drawing nil-nil with Wolfsburg. And then right around the same time, Paco Alcácer scores this this wacky free kick in injury time, and then almost at the same moment, Lewandowski misses the goal, which would have made it 2-1 to Bayern, and it would have been his 200th uh, Bundesliga goal. Borussia Dortmund added uh, a a second one like in the 98th minute or something and they win 2-0. So this now means that they're two points clear of, uh, of Bayern heading into that huge game on Saturday. It's a tremendous psychological lift. Bayern really angry about this, angry with their own performance. Niko Kovac, the uh, coach, had some tough, harsh words for them. And it should be exciting. So Saturday, 6.30 local time, 5.30 in the United Kingdom. 
It's uh, Bayern for Borussia Dortmund in a game which could be for all the marbles. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to our excellent guests, James Gearbrandt, Bill Edgar, and Paul Joyce. And you know what I realized? 67% of my guests today have last names, which are really first names. That's pretty cool. And probably Gearbrandt is, isn't it? I mean, not. It's actually, um, funnily enough, it's actually the fourth most popular boy's name in Belgium. No, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It's just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription. We're going to be back on Thursday. Still no Natalie. I'm really, really sorry. But please do tune in and we'll be looking ahead to the FA Cup semifinals. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Thank you.